The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Today is the 55th anniversary of the 1966 blizzard that hammered the city of Winnipeg. So we had lots of fun sharing your stories and memories on that blizzard and the 1986 blizzard and the 1997 blizzard. And we spoke to a former Environment Canada meteorologist who was working the night of the 66 blizzard. We spoke to Landmark Cinemas on movie theaters having to remain closed. Golf Digest says forget everything else in life and watch Canadian curling. And it's going to be pretty warm this weekend. Are we hitting the patio? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, March 4th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Minus five right now, but over the weekend, we could potentially see double-digit temperatures, which has many already asking the question, Greg, is it time to hit a patio? (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's always time to hit a patio. If it's available and the heaters are working and the appropriate uh, beverages are available, why not hit a patio, Loren McNabb? Yeah, and you know, I, I was, it was a question that came to mind yesterday as we were talking to restaurant owner uh, Ray at uh, the Gates on Roblin, just about the fact that there's, you know, challenges right now with this pandemic. Of course, we get that for all sorts of businesses, and there are public health orders that I think we understand, even though some might find them frustrating. And it begged the question, A... First of all, it's nice out. So patios often open in Winnipeg at all sorts of times of year. Will there be room for them to open? And if people are eating outside, does that change any of the rules that we're currently Mm. under? Right now, again, it's supposed to be household only in a restaurant. If you're eating outside, does that make a difference? And so that's a question I think we're going to try to pose uh, to our health officials over the next few days because... Right now, there's nothing stopping me from meeting a friend in a park and having a picnic at a picnic table, as I understand it, right? You can have outdoor gatherings, and the sizes of those are changing. So is it the distance requirements? Is it where you're going? Is it still going to be about discouraging people to do that? So it's just one of the questions that came to my mind yesterday. And again, we saw one of our restaurant owners in the city tweet out the same thing, wondering, Greg, if that's something that could be asked as well. And also wanted to know, would you be willing to come if we did this, if we're allowed to do it? Would you come? And the feedback, uh, one answer I noticed was, I haven't been, won't be in a restaurant uh, since last year, but I would come to your patio if it was open. And and Brett, you made the point, I think, that that was one of the issues that kind of where things got a bit confusing last year with the rules. The patios opened. There was all sorts of extensions that were put in place or applications, sorry, to the city to say, yes, we want a patio too, because that allowed for the restaurants to have some capacity outside. But then you did have people coming to a table with all sorts of different households mixing. So there's just, there might be too much room for not just gray, but blatant just disregard there. Yeah, because that they, they were pushing us. That was still very much part of the, you know, don't go to your friends, stay home if you can. But patios are open and I, I'd go for a walk on Cordon and I'd walk by one patio and see a table of 10 people shoulder to shoulder, another patio, six people shoulder to shoulder. So it just, that was... One of those things where it was, here's the messaging, but 
the, according to the health order, it's not really an enforceable thing, and they weren't really expecting restaurants to enforce that. But that was prior, that was last year, and they, there was no mandate on the restaurants, from what I understand, to check IDs uh, or anything like that. They weren't pushing the, the province wasn't pushing the restaurants, Greg, to sort of be the police of who is in what household. Yeah, and now that's done a 180-degree turn where, as uh, you mentioned, our conversation with Ray Louie of uh, the Gates on Roblin yesterday, uh, a, a very long list of responsibilities and an even shorter list of IDs that are valid in terms of allowing you to dine together. If you don't have an address on that ID, you're not allowed to dine. So... Uh, the list of IDs is short. The list of rules to be followed is very long. So let us know at 204-780-6868. Would you hit up a patio over the weekend if it gets nice enough? I'm looking at environment. I mean, of course, it depends on which forecast you look at, but I'm looking at Environment Canada's forecast, and they've got uh, for Monday, sunny and 13 degrees before it cools off a little bit again. So who knows? Maybe patios are not too far away. And on the flip side to nice spring-like weather, today GMAC marks quite the uh, anniversary for this community. 55 years since the blizzard, uh, then blizzard of the century in 1966. And I've just tweeted out some photos courtesy of a website called Livable. 11 photos that are jaw-dropping about how much snow we actually received in the drifting effect. Uh, my dad sent a story that we're going to share with uh, with you later. And a very commonplace story, in particular in Winnipeg, Loren, drifting snow to the eaves troughs and people having to dig out of their front or back door and maybe even climb up a ladder to get to the other side of the snow drift. Yeah, with the blizzard of 66, the pictures are incredible because it, obviously I think it was 38 centimeters of snow fell, but then there was some wind with that. And then I saw some photos where it went up to some of the lines on hydro poles. I, I read on a Global News article from five years ago when we were celebrating or honoring the 50th anniversary of that blizzard, 1,500 people were stuck downtown. So they slept in the Eatons and the Bay overnight because they couldn't get home because the buses stopped running. The, the city really just shut right down. And so we're looking for memories from our listeners, but I'm also really looking forward to a chat we're going to have at 837 with a former Environment Canada meteorologist. I spoke with uh, Larry Robinuck on the phone last night and right away he said, oh, yeah. I remember working that <laughs> night, and I was like, I bet you do. And so, you know, uh, 55 years later, his memories are still going strong, and it wasn't just the snow that fell. Apparently, we had one of those bizarre systems that added lightning to the mix what? over top of the city. Really? Yeah. So there was snow lightning, and he'll explain a bit about that effect because he said it just just kept circling. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you know, he just when he, I said because I said to him, well, we'll ask him, but I said, did you forecast? That much snow? He's like, well, I forecasted snow. <laughs> I was like, so you were right? He's like, yeah, I was right on the snow. Our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. Call us at 204-780-6868. It's the 55th anniversary of the 66 blizzard. If you lived through it, we would love to hear from you. Call us now, 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about that monumental storm. In the meantime, Loren, what are we doing at 707? Well, 
Okay, there's going to be some people that might think this is a bit self-serving for me, but as our listeners might know, you've perhaps heard eh, with the howling or barking in the background once in a while, we got a dog in our house. Moose. And Moose is, uh, he's up, he's up and eating the remote as far as I know, because he's already done that a couple times. So uh, we, I was mentioning some of his antics and it had one of our loyal listeners, Kristen, write in with, you know, some helpful suggestions. And then, then it really got us thinking here at CGOB because six months ago we were telling everybody about how adoptions were up, more people were looking for dogs, dog purchases were way up, people were being warned not to buy pets off certain websites, all sorts of things. Well, in this pandemic, how are dogs being trained? What's going on with obedience training? What's going on with doggy daycares and and kennels with people not traveling? So there's a whole massive billion dollar industry around pets. How has it been operating in this pandemic? And we've got a local business after seven o'clock that started six months before the, the pandemic hit Manitoba. They actually, Brett, have a 9,000 square foot facility they built in part for training, but also for pet sports and pet acting and all sorts of really cool things. So we're going to get into how they've been doing and maybe some of their tips. And if they want, they can come take my dog for a day or two. I mean, it's all on the table after seven. We have some people in the queue to tell us about the 66 blizzard. But first, Greg, Robin St. James kind of summed it up yesterday. I think it does. The blizzard of March 1966, so many years ago, Still makes me shudder as we proceed through March. It is the one storm by which I compare all others. The one storm. Tis the mother. <laughs> to rule them all. Keith is at 204-780-6868. Hello there, Keith. Hi. Good morning. How are you guys all doing? We're doing well, sir. How old were you during the 66 blizzard? I was three years old. And you remember? I remember. What do you remember? Uh, my daddy bundled me up in uh, a little kind of Eskimo jacket, one of those little furry fuzzy ones with a hoodie. And my dad actually built a toboggan slide off the front of the house and off the back back of the house and shot me down the roof for a <laughs> toboggan slide. <laughs> That's one of the pictures that uh, Greg found at this uh, that the University of Manitoba has archived of people tobogganing basically from the roof of their home. Um, now, it, when it, as as it com- compares to say something like from '97, was there any comparison as far as you're concerned? Oh yeah, there was way way more snow than there was in '97. Like '66 was just a really bad year. You can walk down the sidewalk, down the streets, nothing. And took people days to get out now, almost like a week. Okay, so. Keith. Hey, thank you very much, Keith. That for three years old. Oh, boy. And it stuck around. I think that's the difference. 97, the, the snow was wet and heavy, but it melted so quickly, which is why we had that flood. And I think 66, let's ask our next listener, Brett, I think it just lingered. Like, it just stayed forever. Francis, hello there. Oh, hello, hello, hello. How old were you during the blizzard? I was about eight. And what do you remember? Oh, it was great. It was <laughs> wonderful. We were just out, we lived just outside of Winnipeg, and in our house, we did our only heat source was oil, and it was in an old garage that had no door. And my poor papa had to dig out the hole in the garage to make a tunnel to get the oil. Poor papa. And then he had to go and help his brother, who had a mink ranch, and all the mink were uh, in snow. And he had to go up and down and up <laughs> and down 
to to hit Main Street. All all the uh, hills were the same size all across from roof to roof. Well, Francis, thank you so much for calling. I'm just looking at the snow totals. It looks like 38 centimeters fell in 1966, at least according to one thing that I found mm-hmm. here, and 48 in 1997. But I guess it was the drifting yeah. in that 66 blizzard that was so punishing, Greg. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures right now, and on one side of the street, the snow accumulation is fairly reasonable, but then on the other side of the street, you see these mountains of snow right up essentially to the eaves troughs of the houses just across the street and that yeah you could probably uh count on drifting being responsible for that peter how old are you well i gotta tell you this story i was about 12 at the time but i was not in winnipeg i am completely blind i was going to school in ontario but what i have to tell was my grandparents uh grandpa worked for cn rail downtown grandma worked for eaton's they met And I was absolutely amazed when they told me later on, when I came home for the summer about this, they walked all the way from downtown all the way out to their apartment on the corner of Salter and Perth Avenue. Oh, why? Now, the blizzard that I remember as one that I really and truly thought I was going to die was 1986, November 7th, uh, 1986. Uh, I had gone to work. I'm coming home that night. The bus was moving at a crawl. I got off, and I couldn't find the sidewalk with my cane, with my white cane. I could not find the sidewalk, and I was scared. I really thought I was going to freeze to death. Thank God somebody came along in a truck and the guy got me the two blocks back to my apartment building. But I have to tell you how it ended. Uh, I got a message from one of my best friends uh, on my uh, answering machine at the time. And it says, hey, uh, just wanted to let you know if you didn't know already, uh, because of the weather, I don't think we're going to be getting together tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, thank you so much for that story. I think we've got time for one more here. We're going to sneak Ward in. And Ward uh, listens regularly. He comments often on our various tweets. Good morning, Ward. Uh, Good morning. I was uh, eight years old uh, when we got this blizzard. I got up uh, to go to school. Mom says you don't have to go to school today. Look outside. You couldn't even see halfway across the street. So anyways, uh, I went outside later on and tried playing in it for about 10 minutes, and even a young kid like myself couldn't couldn't take that blizzard. But you could walk up onto the roof of our house. That must have been neat, eh? So high, and you could go tobogganing <laughs> the next day. And my dad still swears that that was the most snow he ever saw in his life, and it took him almost two weeks to shovel our... our uh, our property out. Oh, two weeks! Yeah, oh well, yeah. Was, the the car was buried under about ten feet of snow, and <laughs> wow, and, and the, the patio was up to the kitchen window, and <laughs> the front sidewalk was up to the roof. You got uh, there was he had no snowblower, nothing. There was just him to shovel. One of the pictures. Our front street was almost as high as the the light standards. It was just oh, unbelievable. Well, I still of... remember that. Sorry, but, yeah, like you said, you only got thirty eight centimeters of snow, but that 
that wind carried on. I think it was for close to two days with that snow coming down. Gee whiz. Ward, I just wanted to get in before we take a break here. A question for you real quick. I saw some pictures on this livable website, and it was a picture of a paper boy delivering his papers with snowshoes in May. Do you remember the snow sticking around for a long time after that blizzard? Uh, not particularly, no. We might have got some more. I've From what I heard, I thought a, the big melt started about a week later. Okay, well, that's real, interesting. Okay. Really, the weather really warmed up. But, yeah, they had, I still remember on the news, there was people stuck downtown sleeping in Eaton's in the Bay. Mm-hmm. It, like, the whole city was just shut down. Ward, thank you so much for the call. And actually, we got one a text on that from somebody yesterday who says, where was that one? Uh, oh, uh, I had one from Eaton's. I'm sure. Yeah, I saw it somewhere. Well, there was oh, Cat and Gimli. Cat and Gimli says, my grandma was shopping in Eaton's and got go. trapped by the storm. She and many others had to stay there overnight sleeping in the furniture and bedding departments. Loretta. Yeah. It was a real adventure for some people, right? You had that uh, moment. You had people stuck at the train station. You had people who uh, talk about you know, the memories of tobogganing and, and the drifts being so high. But it also was deadly. I've read that it, I think there was two people that died trying to shovel their way out, right, from heart attacks or others. So there's, there's just that whole mixed thing that goes on with the storm, the good and the bad and then the real ugly. So keep those memories coming because, wow. We can, we can talk about higher snowfall totals, but I don't ever recall seeing drifts like the one I'm seeing in those photos, guys. We're talking blizzard today. It's the 55th anniversary of the 1966 blizzard, and we wanted to know your blizzard stories, regardless of what year, 66, 86, 97, whatever. Maybe you got a story from another part of the country or another part of the continent. Text us at 204-780-6868. Tell us a story for your chance to win two tickets for Zoo Lights at Assiniboine Park. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forte is here. Forte, why don't we start with you? You're the youngest of us, I think. Or, well, is, Cam, or is Cam younger than when, you? When's your birthday, uh, Jeffrey? June. Okay, I'm July, so you, you, uh, I am the youngest. <laughs> Cam's the youngest. Oh, fine. Poitras, let's start with you then. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, 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 there wasn't really one that's... Like, I just remember this uh, photo... Um, at my uh, fiance's family's house in West Kildonan and of the snow in 1966 all the way up to the rooftops and they were sitting on the roof and it was just like that's just incredible to me I've never witnessed anything like that I remember the snowstorm in in 1997 and I just remember how much snow there was and I was really young Um, but it was yeah I I remember like my grandpa piling up these big snow mountains along the house because we moved back from BC and we were just living back in my grandparents and I just remember how much snow there was Uh, so just uh, I I just have kind of flash memories of it so Forte I'm like Cam you know I I don't really have a good memory uh, uh, of a blizzard uh has there ever been one besides 97 that uh, really impacted me not really but i remember in 97 when uh my parents had shoveled all the snow and in the backyard and being able to be on top of the sunroom they have a sunroom being able to jump off of the sunroom and into a giant snow pile it just it was crazy now is 2019 october of 2019 was that a blizzard yeah yeah, I think I th- yeah I think it, it was a, definitely it was a blizzard for sure. I just I don't I'm trying to remember the amounts that came that because that was that heavy wet snow for October. I'll look that up. Well, I just that I'm, was crazy in terms of the trees snapping and all mm, the rest. Well, of I was going to say the power. And I remember me and my friends went to a moose game. We were coming home and uh, we were going down Henderson. I believe it must have been on Main Street. We could see 
blue flashing of just, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what it was, but, you know, it was a power going out, and it was just amazingly bright blue flashing. So you got your own version of snow lightning in the form of the power <laughs> yeah. going out. Yeah. yeah. Jeff Braun. Uh, it was definitely the 97 blizzard. I was trapped for two days in a, a friend's house. There were about seven or eight of us there. And in Altona, and we ran out of beer in about two hours. Oh, and that's and the real tragedy. We ran out of smokes in about 12 hours, and, and that's that was just even bigger. miserable for the next day and a half. They finally uh, <laughs> managed to be able to plow one car width of a lane through town, and I sort of I walked home all the way across town, and that walk home was the eeriest uh, 45 minutes of my life. It was so creepy. I was just going down this one lane in the middle of the road and the snow was eight or nine feet high on either side of me. Oh, and I was, man. you know, sort of worried it might collapse or whatever. And then when I decided to take a shortcut across a, a snow bank that had no <laughs> path plowed through it, that was uh, just a stupid idea because that was just me buried in snow constantly for trying to take two blocks <laughs> off my walk. But I finally managed to get back to my parents' house and Oh, it's just, it was the weirdest uh, weekend of my life for sure. So text so us, crazy. text us your blizzard story, 204-780-6868. Doesn't have to be from Manitoba. Maybe you sp- were in another province and you've got a story from there. We want to hear it. We're marking the 55th anniversary of the 1966 blizzard, but... Tell us a story about any blizzard you have endured for your chance to win two tickets for zoo lights at Assiniboine Park. I spoke to uh, caller Carrie off the air. He's got a funny story about um, Jeff Braun referenced how he ran out of supplies, beer, cigarettes <laughs> in the in the 97 blizzard with his buddies. Well, Carrie went to some great lengths to make sure that he acquired some supplies. Uh, so we'll share that in our next segment. And at 737 Small Town Salute, something really cool coming out of Gimli, Greg. Yes, they're asking for your home videos. Typically uh, movies, film, or VCR. <laughs> Good morning, Moose. <laughs> and... Uh, um, other media from Manitoba's past. It was part of their move to celebrate the Manitoba's 150, and thanks to the stay-at-home program launched by the Manitoba government during the pandemic, they are asking you once again for your home videos. Maybe it's of the 1966 blizzard, a way of preserving some of our history here in the province. And maybe Moose is excited right now because you know, in case we were going to say, in case you haven't heard him, but we just did. <laughs> A new voice was kind of added to the show a few weeks ago. His name is Moose, and every time I hear that bark in the background, I smile. Greg, Greg, Greg and I look at the monitor, and we're both chuckling to ourselves uh, while Loren is talking. He's supposed to stay upstairs while she works from home. Yeah, it's like I have him on cue. It's like I have him that well-trained, guys, that I got him to bark just in time for this segment, right? Because, of course, now we're talking yes. about dogs. And no, Yes, that's it. That's it, right? He's so well-trained. I have so far so good. It's been a week but without him coming downstairs, and so we, we, we hope we have that going. But, you know, listen, we're this might 
we're talking about it this morning because, of course, I'm not the only one who've who've bought a dog or adopted a dog or got a dog over the past uh, eight months, 12 months. A lot of Manitobans have added a pooch or pet to their family, which I think, Greg, might seem like great news if you're in the pet industry, except for many businesses can't really operate as usual in this pandemic. Yeah, it's sort of a dichotomy there. Uh, good eventually, but not maybe good right now. That hasn't stopped our next guest. In October of 2019, she and her two sisters started Dumble Dogs. Their goal was to offer a space for dog sports, dog acting, dog training, doggy daycare. So they opened, a, get this, a 9,000 plus square foot facility in St. James. Then, of course, the pandemic hit. So how have things been going? Courtney Voth is one of the owners of Dumble Dogs and joins us now. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. 9,000 square feet. That's a pretty big space. So uh, I'm guessing you were incredibly excited about opening this business and something that is fairly unique in our city? Yeah, like we had big dreams. I mean, we still have big dreams, but uh, a lot of those dreams got put on hold last year. So, so you were offering dog sports. What kind yeah. of, so how does that work? So dog sports is very similar to human sports. You uh, practice, you train, um, and you can compete. And at some points, uh, even at national levels, um, where you're competing against people from all over North America. In like what, for example, Courtney, in terms of sports? Um, so there's different sports you can play with your dog. Uh, there's fly ball, which is very similar to like having a baseball team. Uh, it's a group of people. Um, you train together. And then you compete together. It's like a relay race for dogs. There's also frisbee sports where you can compete by playing, throwing a frisbee for your dog. Um, there's agility sports where you do obstacles. Um, there's just other sports where you dive off docks. Obviously, we don't have a pool in our facility, but um, <laughs> there's just lots of different dog sports out there. So obviously that's for, for the well-trained dog. I'm still working on fetch. So let's start small because as I was saying, there's so many people who per, who've bought dogs or adopted dogs or acquired a pet over the past year. And of course, training might be important for them, but you can't get that. What's the demand like versus what you're able to offer? What are you hearing from new dog owners right now? Are they anxious for some, some help? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you get a new dog, uh, especially a puppy, they need to explore the world. They need to get exposed to things um, and, and see different um, people and dogs and spaces. And there hasn't been any opportunities for new dog owners to do that. They, they can't take their dog anywhere. Um, so there's a lot of frustration there. Um, and people are worried about, of course, how social will their dogs be when they're allowed to start bringing them out into the public. Um, so we... We, we're doing our best to try to help everybody. Uh, we've come up with some different uh, creative ways to still get your dog out and exposed um, without breaking any of the uh, regulations or rules and keeping all the humans safe. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because it's super important. We have a new dog in our house. It's almost uh, 19 months now, but because of the pandemic, he was able to go to training just for a very limited amount of time during the summertime. And there's something called accidental parenting, right? These dogs are very smart. And so they might be creating some bad habits that you don't want them to have if you're not actively training them. Fair to say, Courtney? Yeah. And 
I mean, the dogs are going to be nervous and, um, and you know, have a bit of social anxiety when they start going out because they're not used to it. it it's kind of like, you know, you don't take your cat anywhere. So then when you do take your cat, most people's cats are very scared out in public. Well, it's kind of the same with dogs right now. Without the classes and the socializing, dogs are, are going to start being uh, scared when they go out in public because it's stuff they haven't seen before and um, it can be very overwhelming for them. So we started um, what we call boot camp, uh, where you can actually drop your dog off for a few hours, and uh, we work with your dog. We may um, socialize them with our own personal dogs or just do some basic training, and then we video our sessions with the dog, and we send the videos to the owners as well as detailed notes on how to keep doing the training at home. Um, so it gets the dogs out of the house. It gets them in a new environment. It gets them with learning new smells and different things that are going on. Um, so it helps a little bit. I mean, are those classes full, Courtney? Like, what's the demand been? Yeah, we we're booking about two weeks right now in advance, um, and we actually have very limited appointments available left for March. So you, with these boot camps, then where do people drop off their dogs in order to, to comply with the COVID rules? Um, at our facility. So they, they bring their dog to the facility, um, and then they drop them off for a few hours, and then they come back and pick them up. If you want to learn more, DumbleDogs.com. That's the website, right? Yeah. DumbleDogs.com. You can also follow them on social media at DumbleDogs. Great name. Courtney Voth, one of the <laughs> co-owners of DumbleDogs. Thank you so much for joining us, Courtney. Much appreciated. Thank you. Mackling McGarry McNabb, we want to hear your Blizzard stories. Whichever Blizzard you lived through, we're talking about that today because today's the 55th anniversary of the 1966 Blizzard that pounded southern Manitoba. Kerry was alive then. He says he was 18 for the 66 Blizzard, but he's got a funny story about the 86 Blizzard. Pretty bad for me. Buried in my car. I was at Silray Trust, and I'm buried in my car. I was picking up my girlfriend, and uh, I don't know... Uh, we didn't have booths. We got got a ride next next day on Bombardier on Snooze to Still Rise and picked up some booths and and then we got dropped off on Portage Avenue and I had to walk two and a half blocks with two four uh, and I was in pretty good shape and uh, that was the heaviest two four I ever had and, and my buddy was carrying. Uh, 60 pounders of vodka and I had no gotcha on. I just had jeans on. I lost my gotcha in bed the night before with my girlfriend. I don't know where the hell I was. Gotcha. I, like I just when I thought it was going to go get Ooh. get any funnier after the the alcohol, he had to go use the word gotch. Oh, and boy. two four and sixty pound. Oh, yes, you know, sixty like, pounder. What is that? <laughs> uh, is that a sixty six ounce bottle? It's a sixty ounce bottle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like it's not a. Pa- it doesn't weigh that much, right? No, excuse my ignorance. Oh my god, I was just picturing this like giant backpack and his gotch and it was a, the mental Ooh, image there. That's a Manitoba <laughs> interview if there's ever been one. Oh boy. It is the 55th anniversary of the 1966 blizzard that hammered this city. Gord texted us yesterday saying the 66 blizzard. My mom was working the evening shift at a nursing home on Mayfair downtown. 
She ended up spending the night on a train at Union Station. I was 15 at the time, shoveling my ass off. <laughs> we heard from uh, people today saying it took two weeks to shovel out of that. You know, they, because that blizzard, 97, in terms of the big three blizzards of the last, I guess, the last 50 years of the 20th century, 66, 86, and 97. 97 had the most snow at 48, uh, around 35 and 86, and 38, I think, in 66. But the drifts that you see in the pictures from that 66 blizzard are just insane to the rooftop of people's homes, sliding toboggans from the roof, Greg. That would be so much fun. It would be fun, but I just can't imagine all that shoveling and probably fewer people with snow throwers, although how how actually useful would snow throwers have been if the snow is actually taller than the snow blower or snow thrower itself. So, uh, yeah, once again, these stories are overwhelming. And, you know, 1986 is definitely the blizzard of my lifetime. I got my driver's license the morning of the day that the blizzard started. I think it was on the <laughs> Thursday. And then the Friday, I rode my bike to school, and they sent us home at noon on Friday. And that was the first time I ever remember being sent home from school. I think November 11th was a Tuesday, so they already told us we were going to have the Monday off. It was just a crazy time. In fact, I worked at Fingers Restaurant, and the Jets were playing a game against the New Jersey Devils, and we had zero intention of being closed at Fingers. I essentially shoveled that parking lot by hand so that people that did come to the game had a place to park. Almost 8,000 people showed up at that game in that blizzard in 1986. (laughs) So we're a hearty bunch, and uh, oh, my my great aunt had a heart attack shoveling her snow. Oh, wow. And uh, City Plow was nice enough to dig us out of our driveway in our back lane on Golding Street so my mom could get over uh, to the hospital to see my aunt. It It was a crazy four or five days. Well, you talk about Hardy. I'm pretty sure the 86 blizzard, which we're also talking about this morning, just because the 66 conjures up all the other memories people have. I'm pretty sure that's the one that we got sent home from school on the, bl- on the bus because it was coming and everybody knew it was coming fast and furious. And as we get to the end of our lane, we're the first stop because we were fairly close to town. The bus driver, Mr. Levitch, I can hear him saying to my mom on the CB radio, picks it up and he's, Elaine, you want me to drive the kids down the lane? I think I can probably make it. And our lane at that time to our old farmhouse had to be I think 800 to a, a kilometer long winds swirling around outside. And we just, we're all like crossing our fingers on the bus. Mom, nope, they can walk. And there we are all getting <laughs> off the bus to walk home. We're like, mom, he was going to drive us. Yeah, he could have, but you can also walk. And there you are. That's how you do it in the Manitoba storm. My dad, uh, when he got married, I believe, and I can't believe I don't know this date. By memory, I'm an awful son. It was, I know it was October 30th. I think the year was 1971. Uh, he got married at a church at uh, Nassau and Wardlaw. And he said that morning he was wearing a T-shirt. By the time he was getting married, there was a massive snowstorm. I don't know if it was a blizzard, but I'm just looking it up here. It looks like it was 1971. 28 centimeters of snow fell that night. April 4th. 30th? October 30th. Oh, October 30th. Sorry. Yeah. Apparently it was the, the whitest Halloween on Winnipeg record. And Just what year was that? 1971. Oh, gosh. Yeah. There's a picture of me in the family archives dressed up for Halloween. Yes. Okay. That adds up. And uh, the snow is basic. Okay. I 
I love this stroll down memory lane. <laughs> the number of text messages is absolutely overwhelming. These stories are so, so good. You can make a book with the uh, text messages we, we've had this morning just on blizzards. And look at this. I don't know if you guys can see this picture that Rudy just sent us. Uh, and he says, how's this for a drift? The yes. bottom of this telephone pole is at least 18 feet from the ground in March 1966. So there's a man standing beside the top of this telephone pole, Loren. Yeah, and this is the kind of image that sticks with me because we talk about it going to the height of rooftops or eavesdrops and all the rest, but he, thankfully, is not touching that line, but he is standing near at the top. And so that's what you were talking about with the difference in this storm. And again, in an hour's time, we're going to talk with a former meteorologist who was uh, forecasting that storm in the night of 66 because it came through the night, and that's kind of when you woke up in the morning and you went, oh... That's what happened last night kind of thing. And so it's the wind. He talked about it circling. He'll explain a bit about that. And and I think he did say lightning. There was that snow lightning, Brett. So I don't know. I've seen that before. It's, it, it, it does happen in winter storms. It's rare. I feel like once you have lightning in a winter mix, that's when you just, you just pack her in. You get into the basement. You get as many chips. You get that 60-pounder or whatever Gary had. You get your gotch all cut up in a bunch, and you just say, I'm not going anywhere. How about or gitch li- or gonch or whatever your phrase is for it. How about lifting cars? Tony As, had a story, didn't he? He did, yeah. So this goes to the 97 storm. I know my boss at Superstore on School Road said, if we're going home, it's now or never. I lived in the Maples, so that was a far drive. I owned an 82 Nissan or a Datsun, Nissan Datsun, I guess they were the same thing. It was so light, I rode on top of the snow, got close to home, pulled to a side street. Couple, a couple of days later, everyone was digging out their cars because the city had cleared just one lane. Well, my buddy and I compiled a weight of almost 600 pounds, two big linemen. Uh, we were picking up and... Uh, backs and fronts of cars. Sorry, I'm reading this on the fly, guys. And people were amazed. They asked us to do their car as well instead of digging them out. We had a date. That's the only reason our strength levels went up. I will never forget. Thank you, Antonio. What is that that they say about lifting cars when you're a teenager? It's a good way to to work out the hormones. Oh, yeah? Uh, Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So keep your text coming at 204-780-6860 because we have two tickets to give away for Zoo Lights Festival at Assiniboine Park. We're going to give that away after 9.15. Tell us your blizzard story doesn't matter which one the, they're not in competition they were all awful storms like there's i mean we mentioned that yeah it would be fun to toboggan down from the roof to your home but as loren pointed out a couple of people died in that storm and uh they I, they weren't it was sort of it could be fun from one sense it could also be disastrous Patios. It's not something I would have thought about until at least at least April, maybe May. But as we're looking at double-digit temperatures potentially in the coming days, some restaurant owners, Greg, are asking, if, would you come to a patio? And secondly, will, will you be able to sit at a patio table because it's outside with someone who is not from your household? So that question, obviously the second question is for Dr. Rusin. And for those at the province who make these rules, the first question is for 
A, for the restaurant owners, because, Loren, it's a ton of work to get a patio ready to welcome guests. You may have your patio furniture and storage off-site, or if you're lucky enough to have it stored on-site, it's definitely dirty. needs a lot of work to get cleaned. You have to clean the patio. It means extra staff, so you're already in a situation where you're bringing in staff for what will be 50% capacity, but as we know, some restaurants are struggling to even fill those seats. So there's there's a big roll of the dice. Let's just pretend for a minute that Dr. Rusin says, yes, you can do this, and yes, the rules will be modified. But we're just going to pretend that for a moment. It's still a gigantic investment of time, money, human resources to do this for what might amount to four or five days. Yeah, and there are people who, for for sure, it's two or three degrees today, say, four or five, you get up to 10. What's your benchmark for when you would sit outside? Tons of people are doing things outside right now for hours on end. So there might be an appetite for this. Uh, I suspect the answer would be no, given the, the line they've drawn with the idea that they really just don't want people from households mixing together too much. That said, they are expanding the rules for gatherings outside mm-hmm. uh, as of March 5th, as of tomorrow. And so that's a 10-person rule. So what's the difference between that and a, and a patio at a restaurant? Is it still that there might be more, not enough distance between people, not enough distance between tables? So there's all sorts of things that are, are worth asking and dissecting here because, again, the restaurant industry is such a huge part of our Manitoba industry, and we know they, among others, are hurting. So, so like you said, if we pretend that this could be a go, there's the logistics there. And then there's the restaurants that don't have the patio. And so I just sent a note to the city of Winnipeg just now to ask if they're going to extend that temporary patio permit that they did address last year. They introduced last year this opportunity for restaurants who were desperate to have some sort of business to allow them to apply for patios where they may not have had patios or where they may not have had the space to do it. But the city said, you know what, in this climate, go ahead, in this pandemic climate, go ahead and build a patio at least temporarily so that you can have some business. So, man, there's lots of logistics to work around, but it is one of those, again, gray areas that you if, poor poor Dr. Rusin with the number of questions he gets asked but it's if you were a business owner you would wish you'd have that red bat sure. phone line to him Batman phone so you could just be like <laughs> one more question just want to get straight to you but you know here I am as a business owner can we do this and I think it's a fair question given what we know about the rules I don't know what the appetite is from some Manitobans. I'd be curious how many still would say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do that yet. Well, and as you pointed out, Greg, it, it, it would end up being almost much ado about nothing. I'm just looking at the long-term forecast here on one weather, particular weather app. So uh, this one, this is the weather network. They're all different, but the weather network says six degrees Saturday, nine degrees Sunday, 11 degrees Monday, and then it starts to cool off again, five degrees, one degree, minus five, minus three, minus two. So even if they manage to get the patio open for a day, two days, that's going to be it. And it's probably going to be it for a while because it's March 4th. So sure. the, this Are we getting is, ahead of ourselves a bit, Brett? It's <laughs> well, fake spring. Let's be honest. Fake, hey, but but I'm spring exci- is coming. Yeah, and I know you, Brett, you would be on a patio if you could. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. If, uh, you know, I, I'm going to the King's Head again on You're Friday. You're on one right now, aren't you? Uh, yes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I am on the rooftop patio at 201 Portage. I found the way upstairs. But, uh, yeah, it, it, of course, I would, I would love to go up there, but... There's no, to imagine that we're done with winter is, you know, we could get pounded by a snowstorm. Well, and I mentioned with the logistics uh, in Alberta, in Calgary in particular, when I lived there, you could find a patio quite often in February, in March, when 
the temperature would sometimes go up to 10, 11, 12, 15 degrees. My first winter in Calgary, I think on the 23rd of December of 99, it was in the low 20s. And patios were open everywhere leading up to Christmas uh, because the climate is so bizarre there. But I've also been drinking beer at Stampede with the toucan mitts on because it's snowing. So it's unusual weather there. But in Alberta, they're used to that topsy-turvy weather. And so they don't shut down their patios necessarily for an entire season like we do in Manitoba. I just think it would be such a huge challenge to just to get all the tables and everything out and set up. Unfortunately, Even the thought of bringing my own deck furniture out and then putting exactly. it away is exhausting, let That's alone an entire patio, right? So, Well, let us know. Would you go sit on a patio if you could? If the temperature rose above 10 degrees on the weekend, would you go sit on a patio? Would you want to or would you be still a little nervous about that? Like maybe you would go sit on a patio with members of your household, but would you want to go sit at a patio uh, with people who are not from your household? I know a lot of people are clamoring to get back into restaurants. They want to share a table, but many they say that I'm not even close to being ready for that. So we would love to hear your feedback. 204-780-6868. Should also mention the question of the day at cjob.com. It's brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204 987 6890. And I just want to give the results from yesterday afternoon's question, which was a serious one, and then the results from yesterday morning's question, which was much more lighthearted. Yesterday afternoon's question had something to do with what we talked about yesterday morning. A father is fighting to have his son with Down syndrome vaccinated ASAP. What criteria do you think should decide when a person gets a COVID 19 vaccine? Their age or their pre existing conditions? 57% say pre-existing conditions. 43% say their age. You can still weigh in on that at cjob.com. The question that we asked yesterday morning as it pertained to hockey, the Winnipeg Jets have moved into second place in the NHL's North Division. Which of these Canadian teams do you hate to see the Jets lose to? Now, Loren, I know you wanted it to be Leafs, Leafs, uh, Habs, Leafs, but uh, the Leafs ended up winning the day in that sense. 52% was the top vote for the team that people... 52%, that's not high enough. So on people. Twitter, it was 65%. Still not high enough, Brett. <laughs> Let's combine those together. It was 112% or whatever the total would be. Item. I'm not good at math. But let's just throw that's, those two together. That's a lot of hate, McNabb. That's a lot it's of deep hate. deep in my heart. It's entrenched. going to call you Ron Francis from now. The little that's, ball of hate. I'm mostly, no, I'm not. I'm 12% kidding. We all know that this warm weather can quickly turn into something else in Manitoba. And on this day, 55 years ago, winter proved that at this time of the year, it's still the boss and Loren, one of our listeners sent a text and, and he says that when he started out on a road trip on this day in 1966, it was a beautiful sunny day. Just like today, right? So that uh, even the kids were heading out for school and they wanted to put their runners on. I said, sure, but pack 
everything else because I know it's not in the forecast, but you just don't know. That's the kind of weather that comes in March, right? And so on this day, March 4th, 1966, starting in the evening, 38 centimeters of snow fell on Winnipeg. And we've had listeners talk about how it not just blanketed cars, but it left drifts up to rooftops, in some cases to the top of, uh, near the top of poles for cable and for hydro. Uh, inside Eaton's in the Bay, there was apparently 1,500 people who had to stay overnight to sleep because the buses stopped running. Snowmobiles had to take nurses and doctors to work. And speaking of listeners, one listener texted about watching her dad, who was a police officer, put on his snowshoes and snowshoe in to work. So, I mean, it was just a really, really crazy storm. And on this day, 55 years ago, Larry Romanuk was at work. He was a meteorologist with Environment Canada and was on shift the night that all that snow started to fall. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking a trip down memory lane with us. Your job was to forecast what was coming. Did you expect that much snow? Well, to tell you the truth, no. Uh, we had tracked it pretty closely, though, uh, because it was a slow-moving storm. It was originated uh, as one of those Colorado lows down in the uh, southwestern United States. But it was so slow-moving, so it was relatively easy to forecast, uh, you know, when it might affect Manitoba. So... Uh, uh, but it started dawdling somewhere down in through the Dakotas, and uh, as you may or may not know, the more it slows down like that, the more chance it has to gather up the moisture from the Gulf of Mexico. So it was getting very, very saturated with uh, lots of moisture as it moved northward. And uh, we had put out some advisories and uh, warnings the night before, and uh, I was on the evening shift, uh, that evening it was moving up and it just of course started snowing uh, just while I was on shift uh, but uh, by the time I got to my parking lot uh, at the airport where we worked uh, by uh, midnight it uh, was already getting pretty hairy scary <laughs> I barely made it home at, on Shelburne Street is where we lived at the time and uh, yeah I made it home okay but by morning, I guess, is uh, when it really started in, in earnest, and uh, uh, that's when we had a lot of the snow uh, fall at that time during the night, and then, of course, into March the 4th. So, uh, yeah, the storm. But then the, 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 the big factor was the wind. Uh, it was starting to get more intense, the storm was, uh, in the south, and at the same time, <clears throat> we had a... Uh, sort of a massive high-pressure area over the prairies and uh, cold or cold air uh, waiting to waiting to pounce down on us as well. And uh, so between the two extremes, we had very strong winds as well. So uh, uh, we were preparing for that uh, as well. What's this about snow lightning? That was also a part of the mix. Yes, that's what we... I found out almost too late. It was moving up from the Dakotas, and uh, some people started noticing seeing some uh, lightning in the cloud, uh, which was embedded in the heavy nimbostratus cloud. Uh, so that line came right over Winnipeg, and uh, we, it, we didn't know at that point in time that there were thunderstorms actually associated with this, because uh, in those days... Uh, we didn't have the sophisticated equipment uh, to follow these things, like uh, air, air traffic control <clears throat> radar, for example, is what we used. And uh, there was no satellite uh, to help us along. 
so uh, uh, this line of heavy thunderstorms came and sat over Winnipeg for several hours during the night, and uh, that's where we got the heavy snow. And instead of it moving off continually to the north, uh, this line just sat over the city because the storm center itself started moving back southward, would you believe? So it uh, was kind of a strange phenomena, and uh, it left us underneath all this uh, band of heavy snow, and uh, that's where we got clobbered. Larry, you mentioned this was early in your career, so you were around for some other big storms, and our listeners are sharing their stories from the storms of 86 and 97. Talk about uh, those two storms and the impact that, that they had, and are there any others that stand out for you? Well, I, you know, I can't say too much about those because it's kind of in a dim, distant past, but uh, I know it had been... 1966 was one of the coldest winters we ever had and uh, as a matter of fact in February of that year we had a minus 49 49 below Fahrenheit which was a record the coldest ever in February and then uh, we had uh, the cold air just hung on uh, that particular year for uh, 90 days actually so we didn't have any melting and uh, so it was uh, uh, a very memorable day of course but uh, there were other storms as you say uh, uh, later on and uh, Larry I just want to point out I just did the math and by me I mean the computer just did the math for me minus 49 Fahrenheit means you had a temperature of minus 45 in Winnipeg that winter that's correct Wait, Celsius oh boy that's a yeah, cold one and, and that's that's what we were talking about was the difference with this blizzard of 66 was the cold and the wind because the snow didn't melt right away. As, as I understand it, it stuck around for many days. Did you yes. have to dig out or what was the scene like the next day uh, when you went up and had to go back to work? Well, I didn't go back to work, fortunately, for me. And, and uh, those that were caught at the airport uh, where we worked, uh, uh, the staff, they had to just stay at the airport for a couple of days after that as Many other people were caught uh, at work and uh, had to spend the night in what downtown uh, or, uh, department buildings and uh, hotels and so on. So, yeah, a lot of people were inconvenienced. And uh, uh, the, the big story here in this particular storm was the wind, and uh, it was very, very strong, and it blew drifts, and it's the drifts that uh, caused a lot of the... Uh, problems that we had uh, you know as you may have already mentioned uh, uh, you know houses were almost covered or up to the rooftops and uh, uh, you know and the whole city became paralyzed but the odd thing about all of this storm uh, was that just to the west and uh, north of the city for example places like Portage de Prairie uh, Gimli, Riverton, Arborg area, they had very little snow out of this. They only had about a couple of inches, uh, 10 centimeters or so, and that was because of this line of heavy snow, the thunderstorms that occurred over the city. So it was kind of a sharp cutoff there, and uh, they never did get, but they did get the wind, of course, and and the cold. But uh, it's kind of a a freak thing that uh, just uh, a fairly 
little ways north and west of here, uh, there was very little snow. Most of it fell south of the Trans-Canada Highway. Larry Romanuk, 55 years ago, he was a meteorologist with Environment Canada and was on shift the night of the 66 blizzard. Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We very much appreciate this. This is fascinating stuff. You're welcome. Thank you. And it's funny how, you know, you go back to a moment in time and you remember things so specifically, right? Like I remember the 97 blizzard Mm -hmm. trying to shovel it. And it was the weirdest snow I think I'd ever seen because it was it was like really coarse. It was almost like, uh, I don't want to say sand, but it was hard. Like I couldn't even dig my shovel into the snow. It would like bounce off of the snow. And so it was like on top of the fact that it was windy and there was snow just coming down in buckets, it was hard to clear. And that was part of the problem. It was hard to drive on. You couldn't get any traction on it, even more so than usual. And I remember it clear as day. I remember working at Taco Bell, Loren, looking out the window at that day. And I watched the truck plow go by Regent Avenue, I think, three times in my three or four hour shift. Uh, and then my buddy Steve, who also worked at Taco Bell, he closed. they closed the restaurant early. He ended up having to stay at my place for three days, I think, because he couldn't get home to East St. Paul. Yeah, Former friend? Heard- Still, we're still friends, <laughs> although we learned that we would make bad roommates. <laughs> right. That's just it. We had Larry just say that people, you know, at his work, they had to stay overnight uh, for several days. And then we had a listener text in that say they went, they actually went to a party that night. And by the time it got to, you know, midnight, it was nobody could go anywhere. So he was stuck in his house for three days with all these people who were at this party, plus all these cats. He's allergic to cats. Oh, and gosh. He, then he got taken by ambulance to the hospital oh. because of a crazy allergic reaction so yeah be careful about who you're gonna get stuck with if you get stuck in a storm and you know i also asked forche and i don't know if you got a chance to i'm so curious he 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 asked larry how old he was 85 years old and listen to that recall he had on the 1966 blizzard so tremendous stuff there but right now we want to revisit a conversation we had earlier at 707 we spoke to a company called dumble dogs because if you have to train a dog, like if you got yourself a, a pooch and you want to get them trained and get them socialized, because that's Im- super important is to get them around other dogs, that has proven tricky during the pandemic because a lot of that stuff just isn't an option. But Dumble Dogs has come up with some uh, creative solutions or you can take your dog, uh, Loren, to a, a doggy daycare. We, somebody Boot reached camp. out to It's a boot camp for dogs. You just (laughs) drop it off and they just drop and give me 20, Moose. Just let's go. You know what? I house sat uh, for somebody once and part of my duty was to take this person's dog to the daycare, I think three times that Mm -hmm. week. Because if I didn't, the dog would just lose its mind. It was young and it was uh, about, what kind of a breed was it? It was a shepherd cross of some sorts. Some dogs are chill. Other yep. dogs need constant exercise, and if they don't get it, Greg, they go insane, and they drive you insane as a result. So you take the dog to the daycare for the day, you pick them up, and they they basically sleep the night away. Yeah, it's like you or I going to the gym, going for our exercise, going swimming, uh, playing hockey, whatever it is, and that socialization and that activity is so critical to a well-behaved dog. If they're not exercised properly, they tend not to listen as much. They tend to sort of get ornery, and they are 
are that they can be miserable, plain and simple. And then <laughs> they start chasing their tail and they start gnawing on their front paw. And that, yeah, you just, you don't want to go down that road. So they, they are fickle as loyal as they are, Loren. They, they have some serious needs. And this is one thing that has uh, maybe slipped through the cracks for some people during this pandemic. But I do have a question about this question, this uh, name of this business, Dumbledogs. Is this an homage to Harry Potter? Somehow Dumbledore, like, can, yep. is that what it is? Yeah. And if you, uh, um, they are, just as you know how things work with different rules and the litigious nature of film productions <laughs> and books, they are definitely an homage to a book that we all love. Oh, and many oh. of us have read. <laughs> I mean, and a, yes. In a film that probably <laughs> many of us have watched because there's seven or eight books in it. So for hmm. sure, they, they use a lot of play on words and different things within their business to do that. But listen, it's an important question because it's a big part. It's a massive industry, the pet industry, oh. whether it's a daycare, training, kennel, we know kennels are struggling right now because people aren't traveling. And so as we move forward uh, and we continue to talk about the impacts of this pandemic, there have been the good and the bad. More people getting dogs. But has the dog business been able to operate the way they would like to? And, and the answer in some cases are no. And then after 930, we're going to continue to talk about some of those frustrations as it pertains to theaters. Theaters waiting to open to see and have been saying that they could do so safely. So we'll speak to Landmark Cin- Cinemas, Brett, after 9.30. And we're going to give away those passes for Zoo Lights. we got some amazing, amazing stories, including an interesting one involving the ringing of a doorbell. We'll share that at 9.15. The Lounge is full. Here on the start, we are still celebrating the second of back-to-back National Women's Curling Championships for Gimli's Carrie Anderson Rink, and you're getting ready for the Briar, which starts tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, we've also been extolling the virtues here on the start of the Roaring Game and how wonderful millions of Canadians find it to watch on television. And now we want to add one American golf writer to the list of curling converted. Here is part of his take, and it, as far as we're concerned, right on the button. For the past week, every night at 8.30 p.m., he writes, I have dropped everything, turned on, watched ESPN, and gotten real deep into the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. This is the National Championship of Women's Curling in Canada. It's named after toilet paper, and it's about 3,000% more fun to watch than you would think. And here's the headline attached to the article published March 1st at GolfDigest.com. Forget everything else in life and watch Canadian (laughs) curling. The author lives in North Carolina. His name is Shane Ryan. Good morning, Shane. Hey, good morning. Thanks very much. Well, it's great to have you here. Now, we know for the most part, writers don't create the headlines attached to their work. In this case, did you write it? And either way, why is it so damn accurate? Yeah, I did create that one. I think I actually, there was a slight tweak. I think I said, drop everything and give yourself to Canadian Curl. (laughs) (laughs) Offer yourself up, right? Yeah, right. Leave your family, uh, get rid of your wife and kids, and focus, go to the Yukon and become a curling hermit. 
<laughs> well, we've been having this discussion because, you know, we, we, I mean, part of it might be pandemic related. I don't know how you feel about that, Shane, but I, I always love watching curling and in the last few weeks have never loved it more so because it's been nice to have that appointment viewing. But we've also just talked about the idea that when it comes to sports, I mean, it seems so ideal for TV. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think you're right. There's been a strange phenomenon a lot uh, here in America, at least, where you would think during a pandemic that you'd watch more sports than ever before. But I think people are watching less. And I found that myself. But you're right. There is something that's, I don't know, maybe it's like serene and hypnotic about curling, uh, but also just dramatic enough and, and satisfying with the geometry that I, I don't know why, but it does really make the perfect pandemic uh, viewing experience. So in terms of where you grew up, uh, I guess tell us where that was, and is this the first time you'd ever seen curling? Well, I grew up in upstate New York, which is actually big hockey country. So, you know, I was like an hour south of Montreal, but there was no curling. That was definitely not on the radar. Um, I think I mentioned in my article that I had watched some Olympic curling. Uh, John Schuster, of course, (laughs) American hero. We we all watched him uh, win in 2018. But really very minimal. And uh, then my friend, uh, Jim Clatchen, who actually lives in Ottawa, and he curls uh, at the Richmond Curling Club there. Um, he was a part of a group of friends uh, that we all have this online chat where we kind of hang out during the pandemic. And he said, all right, I'm going to start this uh, gambling pool for the Scotties. I'm going to make all you Americans watch curling. And so that's why we were watching it. And uh-huh. say, it has a yeah, it yeah. has a gambling element. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. And I didn't win. I didn't win anything. But uh, but there was a thing where the first day I said, OK, you know, what? I'll watch one of these one of these curling matches and it'll probably be it. And a week later, you know, <laughs> I'm basically a convert and uh, completely obsessed with the sport, looking forward to the briar. I know what the briar is now. And, uh, yeah, it just completely uh, completely seduced me, the sport of curling. Shane Ryan, he's a writer for Golf Digest. He lives in North Carolina, the headline, forget everything else in life and watch Canadian curling. So welcome to the world of the converted. But uh, I would suggest it's maybe not a stretch for golf fans to like curling because they sort of go hand in hand, you know, different seasons, of course, but both invented in Scotland and both have an almost seemingly absurd task attached to the ultimate goal of the sport. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this and I think you're, I think you're right. And I think even something about the experience of watching a long putt track toward the hole is vaguely similar to, you know, watching somebody curl toward the button and it's just yeah, it draws you in, and you can't look away. It's kind of slow and peaceful, and then peaks in these moments of drama. I think there's something there for sure. Yeah, I, I've talked in the past, but you can often nap to both sports, but at the same time, your heart, like five minutes later, will start accelerating like crazy as you watch uh, certain things happen. So it kind of has that up and down to it. I, I'm curious, Shane, do you watch American curling? Like in terms of how often you actually you know, your foray into this, you said you were stuck on the Scotties, but what about similar tournaments in the States? If there is, I don't know what it would be called there, like the paper towel or bounty or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's named after Trojan condoms. And uh, no, I I don't know. Uh, uh, No, you know, I don't even know if there are, I guess there are, there must be American (laughs) tournaments, right? I mean, we have an Olympic team, so they must have tournaments here. Uh, but no, I, I certainly have never watched an American curling tournament. Uh, like I said, I, like maybe you know a few minutes here and there at the Olympics, and that's it. But I did learn that I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and believe it or not, there's a curling rink here. What? So I, I 
yeah, I, I know I couldn't believe it either. But hey, we have an NHL team, so I guess it's a strange world. Um, but yeah, so I think maybe at some point uh, when it reopens after the pandemic, I could actually in my own, in my own neighborhood and the American Southeast, I could go curl. Don't lose any more Canadian friends, though. If you want in on the club, don't ever call a curling bond spiel a tournament again, Shane. I, I did it. Uh, I started it. Okay, <laughs> did you set okay. him up there, well, Lorenz? It's, it's called the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts. Yeah, I know. It's not called the Scotty's. Yeah. And what you should ask, though, Shane, before you foray into your own curling club is, do they have the buzzer near the ice that you can just get the bar to bring your drinks to you? Because <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's a key Oh, I like, I didn't know that existed. I like that. Oh, it Definitely exists. Like <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, thank you so much for joining us, Shane. Uh, and I would add as well, if Trojan was indeed the, the sponsor of such a bond spiel, that would give new meaning to the term hurry hard. So oh boy. thank you very much for joining us, Shane Ryan, Golf Digest. We appreciate the time, sir. All right. Thank you very much. The headline, once again, forget everything else in life and watch Canadian curling, or as he would have written it, and give yourself yeah. to Canadian curling. <laughs> as though Darth Vader were professing it himself. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start as we mark the 55th anniversary of the 1966 blizzard that hammered the city of Winnipeg and southern Manitoba. And, Greg, you mentioned a text that came in shortly before 9 o'clock. Did it have to do with the doorbell? It did. Would you like me to read that? If you wouldn't mind. Okay, this one is short and simple. I remember my parents talking about the storm of 66. My mom was eight months pregnant with me. The doorbell started ringing in the middle of the night. It was the snow packing up against the door. <laughs> Imagine that. The snow was Just ringing blowing, the door. And then like banging it over. That would be annoying as well. <laughs> Just piled up that high. Oh, boy. Your dad sent us a text yesterday, Greg. Well, I reached out to him because I figure I know all my dad's stories. Mm, I've never heard this one, actually. He said that even though we had a snow day off from school on the 4th, and there was snow almost up to the eaves of the house, I convinced my parents to let me go to the weekly dance at the River Heights Community Club, which was over two miles away. Of course, it was impossible to get there anyway but by foot. The temperature was about minus 15 Celsius, but that didn't cool my plans to go to see whatever band was brave enough to venture out into the blizzard to perform. Instead of having a frigid walk alone, just as I re reached the corner of the street, an armed forces personnel vehicle pulled up and the guys asked me my destination. I'm sure they thought I was crazy, but they drove me the two miles right to River Heights Community Center. As I remember, there was a very good crowd there for the dance, and I'm sure we all had a great time. As always, a storm of the century doesn't get in the way of 16-year-old boys and their hormones. Oh, boy. Ross. Ross. I feel like there's another layer to the story we're not fully getting here so you didn't meet my mom until the year after that so this is uh, what i'm saying mm -hmm. what's something in between <laughs> i think he's keeping something from me there yeah ross give me a shout okay buddy loren the uh we this as always it's an impossible task choosing one text to win the prize today it's zoo lights festival assiniboine park two tickets but this story when Greg pointed this one out, I my jaw hit the floor and I just said, "Come on!" So well, it gets to the very end, and then you go, "What?" 
My parents talk about the 66 blizzard a lot. My dad had been in a fight with his stepfather and decided to walk from Brooklyn's, which is Keewayton and Logan, to my mom's house in Westwood. My mom's parents' house, rather. It took him hours and hours, and he said he slipped numerous times on the tops of cars. He didn't realize he was walking on those cars as the snow was drifted solidly over top. He couldn't see where he was going, and at one point he realized... He was walking on the <laughs> runway at the airport. I mean, at the start, you're like, what? You walk from Brooklyn's to his parents' house in Westwood? That's that's something. But then you were on the runway, man. Good thing planes probably weren't landing, I'm going to guess. I would guess you're right on that one. So c- congratulations. That's the winning text. Thank you so much for all of your stories at 204-780-6868, whether it's 1966, 1986, 1997, all of those blizzards were memorable uh, in their own right. 66 had didn't have as much snow as 97, but those drifts that we see in the pictures are just stunning. So you can see some of those pictures, actually, on Greg's Twitter at GMACWPG, on our Twitter at 680CJOB, or on our Instagram at 680CJOB. Talking movies in a second. Just want to read this text from Rudy. At 204-780-6868 on the 1966 blizzard, which happened 55 years ago today, Rudy says, I was eight years old. My dad, first thing in the morning, forced the inside door to outside open only to hear my mom scream. The outside was a snowdrift up to the eavesdrop, a solid wall of snow. So my dad crawled above the kitchen sink window to get outside to the garage. He eventually shoveled his way through the door to get inside. We were three brothers, and my dad had a shovel for each one of us. 120 feet of driveway, shoveling all day. My dad gave me 25 cents. (laughs) Why, that is not worth it, even in 1966. I'd need to know what that could get you in 66. A couple Slurpees for sure, more than one. Into the movies, guess. perhaps. Maybe a bag of chips you could uh, have with that. But yeah, that that is not worth it at all, Brett. And hey, we were also talking this morning about how it's so warm out in comparison to that 66 blizzard. And we were asking that question about patios, Brett. And I was wondering if the city was going to extend its temporary patio permit that it offered to so many restaurants over the past uh, year. Well, that apparently goes until March 31st, and the city tells me they're going to have more information uh, very soon on this temporary patio program, because last year they actually had 64 people or 64 restaurants by the end of October applying for that temporary patio registration. And so we'll see uh, if that's an option for restaurants and how it might work with that whole household rule going forward. And make sure you log on to cjob.com and answer our question of the day pertaining to would you use a patio over the weekend if, in fact, you could. Question of the day brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And Greg, you mentioned maybe that 25 cents would have gotten you into the movies in 1966. Well, as Manitoba moves toward allowing business already open, the opportunity to increase their patron capacity. Some other businesses are opening for the first time in months, you know, like Enigma Escapes opening, places like the Golf Dome. I've got a $100 gift card for the Golf Dome ready to go. It's locked and loaded. Uh, Speed World, if you want to try a go-kart. Uh, the, but still for others, the provincial health orders mean they got to stay closed for the foreseeable future. And on the list of attractions still not allowed to operate in our province are movie theaters, 
not at 50%, not at 25% capacity. Movie-going has seen a dramatic shift over the past decade or more with home theaters and large-screen TVs becoming commonplace in homes across North America. In an effort to flip that script, thousands of theaters have made the move to create more home-like recliners and home theater-style theaters in their cinemas to make those the, the choice of patrons. In many places, those investments are sitting idle, Loren, including at Grant Park Cinemas here in Winnipeg, one of five locations owned and operated by Landmark Cinemas in our province. So we're joined now by the CEO of Landmark Cinemas. We want to say good morning to Bill Walker. Hey, Bill. Hi, good morning. So let's just talk about where Manitoba compares when it comes to what other jurisdictions have done with theater closures, Bill. Are we alone in our decision to keep movie theaters closed uh, in this second wave of this pandemic? Manitoba's alone in, in sort of comparison to the other sectors that have been permitted to open. And so, you know, Alberta theaters are still closed. British Columbia theaters are closed. Ontario just progressively going through a rolling open based on kind of regional metrics. And Saskatchewan, we remain completely open. But in these other, in Alberta and in British Columbia, where we're mandated closed, there is some element of consistency. Fitness is largely restricted. You can't go to indoor arcades and play centers and those other types of amusement venues. Um, and, and theaters are included in the closures. And so with some consistency to that, we've sort of accepted if provinces are going to take a consistent approach, we're okay. What's, what's most frustrating and frankly a bit insulting in Manitoba is that some of the venues that are being permitted to open open or increased capacity it's just hard to see the logic or the science or any kind of common sense that says why movie theaters are a higher risk and so that's why we're really trying to raise our hand and say we we need this to be revisited so i'm going to guess the answer to this but i'm going to ask ask the question regardless bill have you been provided with any specific reasons as to why a movie theater is incapable of operating safely at any capacity no we haven't i mean honestly the the concept is that there's hundreds and thousands in this busy environment. But as you mentioned, our Grand Park Theatre is an example. It, it would have had 1,800 seats before we put in recliners. And then we, we invest all that capital, put in recliners. It has 800 seats. And then you look at that amount of square footage we have per person and per seat. You go, okay, well, at 25% capacity, my gosh, this is, this is more space than any restaurant in the city can provide. Absolutely. On a per-person basis, the distancing and space and volume of air, it's incomparable. And so that that's that's just what's frustrating, for sure. Well, and I can speak to that uh, as well, Bill. I'm six foot four. And uh, when I first heard you guys put in these recliners, I was told uh, the foot, the leg room is incredible. And I thought, come on. Uh, this, it, it had to be a, I'll believe it when I see it. And sure mm-hmm. enough, when I sat down in that recliner and extended it fully, I still had, I think, a foot and a half of leg room between me and the, the, and, like, the rest mm-hmm. of the aisle. It's incredible, the spacing in there. And you guys were also using some sort of a, was it like a, like a fog to, to disinfect the theaters? Yeah, we had a product called Vital Oxide that we sprayed down the seats, every, every piece of the seating surfaces and all the high-touch surfaces in the main area on a really regular basis. In every auditorium, it was between every show. And so whereas re- restaurants aren't doing that, they're not spraying down every seat and sanitizing every surface that the customer touches. Um, but but I, I don't know. Frankly, I, I just can't understand it. 
So in your quest to try and understand, Bill, and again, we're speaking with the CEO of Landmark Cinemas and, and theaters right now aren't allowed to open under these level red restrictions. In your quest to try to figure out why, has there been any conversation, dialogue, you know, an exchange of emails, at least uh, from the from the province or the officials who are, who are making these decisions, Bill? Last week, the the province sort of through one of the offices had reached out to ask for our reopening plans between ourselves and Cineplex and our association provided those, but we haven't had any further guidance from that. I mean, it's and the other thing that's so unique about the cinema market is that Landmark and Cineplex control the lion's share of the market. And so not to say that that's, that's good, but it's only to say that you have two operators you can go to and say, here's what you need to do to safely operate. And you have two sophisticated large operators that will say, yes, we've got it. Whereas, you know, and, and we've all seen it, there are wide degrees of execution across restaurants and other sort of businesses that are open in this. Whereas with us, you, you can pretty reliably say these two operators that represent 90% of the market are going to execute on the health and safety measures that we've deemed really important. And so, uh, you know, that's that's why we're continuing to push. And, and Listen, the government's busy. This is not an easy time. There's no, this is a lose-lose situation. We've had patrons as we've reached out to try to say, hey, fill out this Engage Manitoba survey and we'd like to get your feedback. We've had people reach out to us to say, hey, you guys should be closed and, and we think everything should be closed. And so we know that there's absolutely two sides to this this debate. Bill, and I appreciate that. As a citizen, I look for consistency in those policies and I think that's what you're looking for as well. And something really stood out for me when you were going through uh, the benefits or, or the ability to operate safely with regard to social distancing. It's not only the physical distance uh, linear, linear, linearly, pardon me, but also the volume of air within a movie theater and, and how much space there is that way when we're talking about a concern of spreading a virus that that's got to... Uh, play into the math somehow, does it not, or shouldn't it? it? It should, and those theaters are completely independent from each other. There's no crossover of air between the theaters, all independently heated and cooled. And and there's been no transmission in movie theaters in Canada and around the world. There's no one that has a suspected or confirmed transmission that occurred at a movie theater because they're just uniquely well positioned to to distance big volumes, big spaces. You don't talk. You sit in one direction. It's not a social activity um, where people are talking and engaging and facing each other or, or even able to sit around and talk and hang out after. We don't have those spaces. And so it's honestly, it feels like the first thing that should open and say, hey, you know, to our to our citizens, here's something normal. Here's something enjoyable. You can go to escape this whole pandemic nonsense. And, and a movie theater is a safe place. But somehow, gosh, we've just and, and this is why I get so frustrated because I feel like have, have we not done something? Are we not communicating effectively? Are we not um, lobbying hard enough? Are we not pushing the, the province to really reconsider enough? Um, because it's, there's just no explanation I can get my head around. Bill Walker is the CEO of Landmark Cinemas joining us live on 680 CJOB. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. And as uh, one half of the Couch Potatoes on CJOB and across our Chorus Radio Network, I can tell you that uh, the movie theater is very much one of the places I miss the most. So I'll be first in line when you guys get the green light. Well, we appreciate that and appreciate you kind of helping us just uh, to talk about this because I do think we need to find some consistency and, and hopefully this will help. All right, Bill Walker, thank you so much for joining us. And I miss that movie Popcorn, too, Loren. Wow. Oh, I miss it so much. 
Can I, now, I did wonder, can you still get it through a takeout option? I know that was a thing ages yes. ago. Yes? Yes, according to the landmark website. Is Bill okay. still there? Okay. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. Can you still get the Uber. movie Popcorn through Uber Eats? Yeah. Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes, DoorDash, all the different ways. You can still get it, absolutely. It's amazing how much popcorn we're selling direct to people's homes. It's incredible. Oh my goodness! So, okay. do you know? Do you have numbers for that? I'm just curious. Uh, not not off the cuff. I mean, listen, it's far from profitability. I'm just astounded how many people you <laughs> know, are, are interested on a Wednesday to say, "Hey, I need a double butter popcorn to the house immediately." And the it's, biggest uh, bag of Skittles ever made. Please, it's the whole reason why we plan entire nights around the fact that we don't eat before we go to the movies <laughs> because we're going to eat all the popcorn. So, yes, I get it's not making up for business loss, but hey, at least there's there's the interest there. That's great to hear. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, there we go. Perhaps that's my takeout option for the weekend is some movie popcorn from Landmark Cinemas uh, because I just got the Matrix trilogy on 4K and I need to watch that. What? No, I'm just thinking about popcorn. That, was oh. a, that wasn't discussed, <laughs> although I've never seen The Matrix. I don't want to get you down that rabbit hole, okay. but I've never seen it. But I do love movie popcorn. No, I'm just, I'm just dreaming, man. It's apropos that you said the rabbit hole because that's the whole theme of the first movie. It's follow the white rabbit. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.